are listening to the Swans Blogs Swans Cast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. We've got a treat for you today. Regulars Justin and Joshua are joined by a Sydney Swans legend, 2012 AFL Premiership hero, All-Australian centre-half back and Golden Fist winner, and the finalist at the 2019 Australian Podcast Awards and money management guru Ted Richards. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure having you on again. Justin, Josh, thanks for having me. It's been a couple of years since we've last had you. Uh, 2017 was the last time we recorded. How has your podcast been and how have things been since then? Yeah, so I, um, I retired at the end of 2016 and uh, joined a business uh, that provides investment management uh, online called Six Park. And it was always an area that I wanted to move into after football. I um, did my Bachelor of Commerce and a Master's of Applied Finance whilst I was playing. And then I then worked the last six years of my footy career under a fund manager uh, studying stocks. So it was as much as I loved my time in football, I was always aware that I, I wanted to move into um, this industry. And um, so I've got a real passion for it. And it was about two, two and a half years ago that you know, I really enjoyed podcasts. And I thought, well, I do like investing in the world of finance. Let's, let's, let's set up a podcast. And I started one, which some listeners may be aware of, called The Richards Report. And um, where it's by no means me sitting down just talking about investing week after week. I, I try to get on really interesting guests and do research to uh, try and ask them the right questions so uh, listeners can educate and and learn as much as they can from each episode. And pleasingly, the, you know, it's it's gone quite well. We just ticked over fifty thousand downloads wow. the other day. And um, wow. it, yeah, as you as you said, that uh, it was nominated for an award at the Australian Podcast Awards and. As you know, that, that's all pleasing, but at the same time, I, I quite enjoy it. Uh, podcasting is a great way of, you know, just having a an easy hobby. I, I unlike you guys, I only do one episode a month, and um, <laughs> because it, I, I, well done for you guys for doing one episode a week. Because oh, we've stepped it up. We're now doing two a week. Are you doing two a week? Well, they they take more time than you think, don't they? Oh, they, it's uh, it takes about two to three hours. So basically, it's two to three times the amount of time you actually record. You still got to research, as you said. You got to research, then you got to listen to it. You got to edit it, put it together, post production, post it up. By the time you've done all that, that's your evening gone. And into the mix, like at my at home for me, and uh, there's even your sleep gone. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, the podcast is very enjoyable. I've still got an enjoyment in football, and I keep an eye on it. But um, I find that work with six parking in investing um, takes a lot of my time. Uh, I travel a lot for work. I've got that little podcast, the podcast that I do from time to time. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been up to the last few years since we last spoke. And as far as your guests go, who would be, I guess, some of the most or more prominent members you've had on from a sporting background? Yeah, from a sporting background, uh, I've had some really interesting discussions with Chris Judd, who takes quite an active role in managing his own money that he's made from football who is an, got an investment philosophy where he really likes stocks. And we, we go through some of the, the processes that he goes to analyze and evaluate stocks. 
Joe Watson, who's um, a bit different to Chris. He's in the hospitality industry over in the US with uh, his fourth cafe. He's about to open up over there and also owns a gym in New York. And um, he's also um, got a business, um, quite a quite a successful biz- property business in um, in Melbourne called Infolio. But I feel like the 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 two that your listeners might be most interested in, if if they haven't already listened to these episodes, is one with Chris Keane, who's involved in the recruiting process at the Sydney Swans. And Chris and I didn't actually cross paths at the club. I Chris and I were at an event probably about a year or two ago, and I heard Chris speak, and I was just fascinated because Chris doesn't have your traditional AFL background. Chris comes from a background of data and analytics, so similar to the Moneyball philosophy of using data to improve decision-making. That's that's what Chris brings to the Sydney Swans recruiting team with, um, I think, Kinnear being the one to identify the opportunity for Swans to improve their decision-making when it came to recruiting players. So Chris and I have a really good chat. This was recorded before the last draft in, um, was it November last year? And, yeah. And Chris was, yeah, Chris was quite open. He said, listen, um, there's going to be a few things that's going to happen in this upcoming draft, and we think we can catch a few people out. I, 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 I couldn't believe how open Chris was. I was like, ooh, okay. And yeah, you, you're right. It's exactly what they did. They they went and did some fantastic maneuvers, pretty much, and oh, trades yeah. with West Coast to ensure that they could have their cake and eat it too by getting <laughs> Nick Blakey, but also retaining, I think it was that second-round draft pick. Yes. Yeah, they did. They... They swapped it basically with West Coast. Uh, their second and thirds were almost swapped. So they gained the system and the the response from the AFL at, at that time was shock and disbelief. Yeah, and I think I think it's you know, well done to the Swans to identify that <laughs> yeah. just because something isn't well known across the board, it can create opportunities. And the other podcast that I'd like to uh, mention is one with Cade Massey, who's a professor over at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania in the, in the US. And Cade is a professor. He teaches, teaches about improving decision-making, but he's also a consultant to NFL teams and how they can improve their decision-making when it comes to drafts. I thought, I think your listeners might find that an interesting episode because we, we touch on why the New England Patriots have been hey. able to, yeah, why they've been able to sustain success. <laughs> And because NFL over in the States is similar to AFL in that it's not like European soccer where you can just go out and whoever's got the deepest pockets can sign Ronaldo or Messi. It's you have a salary cap. There is a draft. If you finish down the bottom, you'll get better draft picks. It's all about equalization. And so mean reversion, the teams at the top of the ladder year after year won't have the same advantages that teams down the bottom have. So with the decisions that you've you've got, how can you maximise the, um, I guess, the decisions you make at the trade table and player management and in-game decisions? And, and, and Cade really brings some great insight and perspective as to where decision-making within sport is at because I feel like in Australia we are so good probably, you know, right at the forefront, what's going on with sports science and how we can physically condition players. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like we're a bit behind where the US is at in, to, in terms of using data to make to support decision-making. That's interesting uh, about the Patriots because, like, they've got 20 years at the top now. 
they've just won their sixth Super Bowl. And the the MVP for that game was a bloke who was a quarterback in college um, and was brought in as a slot or wide receiver. And they use a lot of sort of low draft picks and plays in, you know, not playing in their natural position when they get them. And they seem to do extremely well year in, year out. So they find value where, where there's thought to be none. Yeah, and um, so for an example, uh, there's a bias that they, they've identified in recruiting and that is people over put more weight on draft picks in the more immediate year and as opposed to draft picks that may come in the future. And, and when it, if you, you look at AFL this year, so what Carlton and um, Adelaide did is Carlton gave away, you know, their draft first round draft pick uh, last year for to receive an immediate player, and now it looks like they've really shot themselves in the foot. It could have been that they've given away um, uh, the first number one draft pick for that. So yeah, yeah, you know, when it comes to decision making, you know, these things matter. The player that we're looking at now, there's two players who are regarded to be better than Sam Walsh, who Carlton used their first round pick on last year's draft anyway. Yeah, I, I, I don't know much about the, the, the talent pool of this year, but it, it's an interesting one because well, we also touch on the things like um, a number one draft pick is so highly rated, but from an NFL point of view, it's really a toss of a coin if as the, the difference between a number one draft pick and a number three draft pick. So yet so many people are allured and attracted to uh, that number one draft pick. The case yeah. in point for that's always going to be Tom Brady going in the sixth round as well. But, you know, enough of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should qualify everything I've said there about the Patriots to say that if you have do have an all-star quarterback and an all-star coach in the same team, that there is a fair chance you're probably going to have sustained success, which uh, the Patriots have experienced. But um, there are other things there too. I guess there is a bit of a parallel when it comes to Sydney Swans, certainly your time at the Swans, a little bit before and a little bit after, where there were some superstar players. Uh, you could go back into the uh, mid-2000s when you first joined the club. You had Barry Hall, who was uh, a very highly regarded centre-half forward. Uh, Mikael Lachlan, who was getting more to the end of his career, but was a very highly regarded very good forward. Uh, Adam Goods won two Brownlow medals. Uh, we'd only just lost Jason Ball, who was an excellent ruck. Uh, defenders Leo Barry, for example, took the best mark I've ever seen in my life. I'm not sure there's going to be a better mark. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Sydney Swans have done a little bit what the Patriots have. They've managed to take these number of good players mixed with some very, very good players and some good staff around them and sort of put together a team that's been able to challenge Ted. Yeah, well... Um, I think what we're seeing in the last few years, or you know, this year too, in AFL, equalisation works. You can, we are seeing teams kind of come from nowhere to challenge, you know, from one year to the next. So be it Collingwood and West Coast last year, or uh, I guess every year it throws up surprises. But you can get the, the exceptions to the rule, be it, you know, Geelong, Hawthorne, Swans, probably those are the three that have been able to sustain the success and play finals year after year for an extended period of time. And, yeah, there, there needs to be learnings there as to as to why that's been able to take place because, yeah, like you said, you know, the Barry Halls and the Adam Goods and the Mickey O'Loughlin's, these, these people have, been, have retired, but players have come in and teams haven't bottomed out. So it is doable. And you could also look at, this is certainly in your time at the Swans, we had Ben McGlynn come in, 
Josh Kennedy come in at the same time. Sam Reed was drafted uh, around about 2010. Gary Rowan uh, was drafted. And there was a really good period where the Swans were quite aggressive with their trades to move on some of the more experienced and entrenched and well-known players. Yeah, Eamon Buchanan's, yeah, Adam Schneider, yeah, Sean Dempster, and getting some players who might be considered fringe who then have gone on to have some pretty phenomenal careers, especially Josh Kennedy. Yeah, if you if you look at Swan's backline, Reece Shaw, Marty Matner, and throw into that mix the, the, some of the names, I, I um, Ben McGlynn and Josh Kennedy. I know they don't play bat the backline, but I, I really think the Swans won Tats Lotto when we picked those two up at the train table for um, <laughs> a bag of magic beans, or, you know, or whatever the the, the small fee that would you know we had to put on the tray table for to get those two. But yeah, you you, you can find those undervalued players at a time when everyone's looking and trying to get salary cap space. What an undervalued player can bring to a team is is huge. Who, who are we seeing it this year? Like uh, someone like who's the the the, the player? Ryan playing? Clark is an example as well. Yeah, yeah. But I, the one that I, I I notice is who I think has been kind of that undervalued player this year is at Collingwood in um, Roughhead and um, playing the, the important role for them down at full back. I, I think he played quite well against uh, a Buddy recently, but I I, th- I feel like Collingwood really recruited well there. I got to give him credit. Collingwood and Sydney and Hawthorne, they've been very, like, traditionally very strong recruiters. And I, I do want to touch on one player in particular, and unfortunately he's had to retire recently. His back injury that he suffered in the preseason has uh, sort of got to the point where he can't continue anymore. We are talking about the one and only Reg Grundy. He uh, he wore that number 39 with a plum. Uh, we ran a, a bit of a question on social media over the weekend. Uh, who was the better number 39? Was it Warwick Kappa or Heath Grundy? We got back some really, really good responses. But I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to get your thoughts on what it was like playing with Grundy because we did see an article that you wrote back in the, I believe it was 2018, the, uh, the Glutes Tools in Tokyo article that you had on AFL players where you described his uh, glutes flying past as uh, one of the great things about Grundy. Yeah, I, um, the Players Association asked if I'd, I'd write a, an article about Reg for his um, then upcoming 250th game and I was only too happy to because Reg... He will step away from any form of limelight or any 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 form of promotion about about himself. He's very happy to go under the radar. So I just felt Reg deserves to that that milestone to be really celebrated because he is such like it. He's been such a champion for the Swans for so long, and um, I think that that article bounced around again because when he retired recently, because. Uh, a war horse for us for so long and playing such an important role and you know he, he's he's got some back issues right now and I'm, I'm sure no doubt uh, a lot of that comes to the fact that Reg played a lot of footy when he was injured he played he so resilient he hardly ever missed games um, there was one stat that I saw on um, on Twitter from 2009 to 2018 from anyone in the competition, Reg played the most amount of games over that um, nine or ten year period. He um, even more so than um, Joel Selwood and um, Jordan Lewis were some of the other the names in in that category. Reg was just so resilient. He um, and he you know he'll be missed. So um, Swans fans and, and teammates like myself are very lucky that he was able to 
play that important role for, for us for so long because teams have often have a lot of depth when it comes to midfielders, but not too many teams have too much depth when it comes to key defenders. So, <laughs> Ted, uh, the article that you've got up on, on Players' Voice is a good read, and we'll link it onto our website later for others to have a look at. One of the things that we really noticed between sort of your article, other things in the media about Reg, and, uh, you know, the way he's perceived by the Swans fan base is that he couldn't be more different <laughs> from Warwick Capper in that he's a really reserved player where Capper's obviously completely over the top and flamboyant. But we also know that he's got like a dry sense of humour from your article and from the conversations with Cal Podcasts. And I'm just wondering if you could give us like an anecdote about Reg, something funny he's done or, or you know, some kind of prank he's played on the group because we understand he's, he can be a bit of a prankster. He, he can be a, an incredible prankster. Um, gee, a bit of a question without notes. I, I, I don't have, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have any memories. Well, I used to laugh. So, he, you know, his father-in-law lives around the corner from him. And, um, like, he used to just get great satisfaction from, you know, going around to his um, father-in-law's place, getting into the tool shed and just subtly moving tools around and then leaving just to <laughs> just just to make his father-in-law feel like he was going a little bit crazy. Um, and, you know, and you go... <laughs> Uh, what a fantastic, what a fantastic little um, move that is. But um, but also doing things around um, the footy club and um, yeah. So he, he's you you play team sports and and it's fantastic to have success together. But it's also fantastic for that camaraderie and that enjoyment um, and the banter within the locker room. And, and Reg was very much both of those. You said in that article that he spends time uh, at Bunnings looking at, I guess like everybody on the planet goes to Bunnings and heads to the tool section, have a look at what they wish they could buy and what they can't own, but that you saw him rebuilding a combi van and going on a travel around Australia. Has he bought that van and has he started it yet? Yeah, no, it's, it's on his radar. He used to keep an eye on the trading post or you know <laughs> car sales that are, you know for for combi vans from the 1970s just i think with the ambition to you know seriously just do one do one up for himself and he draws a lot of enjoyment from doing things a bit different and doing things the hard way and um yeah it just kind of gives you a bit of insight and as an example as to who he is he's not your traditional footballer out there buying some german four-wheel driver or something like that. you know he's, he drives his ute loves to you know <laughs> loves the sausage from bunnings Probably all he wants for his birthday and Christmas is a Bunnings voucher. He um, <laughs> give him a day off, he'll go to Bunnings. Um, yeah, so he's yeah, that's him as a character. Is is there a running joke around the club about his glutes? Because like it's obviously in the title of your article, and in uh, well, I think we've got some audio of it later. But uh, Dave Hughes came to the club in 2015 and gave the gave the boys a bit of a spray in the meeting room there. And uh, the the joke from from Dave Hughes there was about the size of. Uh, of uh, of Reg's backside, um, is that a running joke within the playing group there? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a running joke within the playing group, but it's it, I wouldn't say it's just confounded to the playing group, and that it uh, <laughs> it is it is what it is. It's pretty evident once you get out there in the football field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have a bit of a, a bit of a question about uh, Reg Grundy, and it's a bit of a tongue in cheek one. Uh, there's been a long running debate about. Um, who would win a sprint between him and Lewis Malikin? <laughs> Have you got a thought on that one, Ted? I don't know, but I feel like people incorrectly perceive Reg to be big, and that means that he's 
he's not a fantastic athlete because he is he he would smash some of the midfielders when it came to our time trials. He was he is very athletic and um I was so excited. I really was so excited when I read a recent article just in the last few days with Nick Rewalt coming out and talking about how hard Heath Grundy was to play on. And everyone, it's it's well known, it's it's highly spoken about how Nick Rewalt is an absolute workhorse and how good his endurance is. But Reg could go with him. And Nick Nick spoke about that. Yeah, maybe Reg might not be the quickest over, you know, 20, 30, 50 metres. But when it comes to repeat sprints wing to wing, um, he could go with everyone. He never seemed to be easily beaten in a contest either. And he's he's a pretty big unit. But I do remember one particular game. I believe it was a 2015 game against Hawthorne at the MCG uh, where the Swans won by 14 points. Uh, could be the 2016 one I'm thinking of. That game, I think it really showcased his athleticism, his ability to cover the ground. He was just going wing to wing all game long. He got uh, 10 marks, 25 disposals. It was quite an impressive performance. Yeah, he um, he used to well and truly kill me when it came to the disposals. He um, Yeah, he was very good um, on, on attack as well and just being able to that, that link up. Uh, you know, Reg will be missed. Like I said, not too many teams that have depth when it comes to defenders. I, I know that the... Um, mid-season draft was the other night. I, I don't believe that we picked up a, um, a, a key defender. I think it was a Ruckman and a midfielder, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, so we picked up Ruckman from South Adelaide, 203-centimetre uh, Ruckman, and we picked up a small forward who smashed um, the uh, agility record set by, can't quite recall, one of the Collingwood, uh, one of the Collingwood players uh, beat two records. Uh, he just missed out on the draft last year because he had a season-ending injury at the start of the season. So they're two pretty good pickups, to be honest. Yeah, oh, that'd be exciting to watch those two. Just before we move on, Ted, you yourself and, and Reg were often referred to as a, a bit of a duo down back. Um, and once you bring up the word duo, you have to add dynamic on the front. So uh, the question we've got is that if you and Reg were the dynamic duo for the Swans in defence, who would be Robin and who would be Batman? <laughs> uh, I, can I pass on this question? Uh, <laughs> no, I um, I I can remember. I'll answer this question by not answering it. I can remember <laughs> watching um, an interview with um, Tom Harley and Matthew Scarlett talk to each other, and I reckon that there was a, at the time those two were um, the best two defenders in the competition, and they you know they'd go out. And stand by, side by side every weekend and I was just so envious as to wanting to have that that aura and, and that they those guys I'm not saying that we got to that level um, but there were games when um, you know Reg and I were so tight that um, we'd, we'd kind of identify to a, a centre half forward like a Rewald or a Jonathan Brown let's take him for a quarter each and um, let's really work him over and um that you know things like that's not that common and and that trust to be able to say listen here's your turn you ride him into the ground and then i'll take it for the next 30 minutes and you know i think it was used to be mentally draining for some forwards when we um were able to get on top of them and you famously got on top of uh franklin in 2012 around round five or six when you played hawthorne in tasmania you kept him uh goalless i think it was the only game that he was actually kept goalless that year and you had a pretty big game against him in the grand final as well in that last quarter. So 
you guys were certainly able to lock down on some of those best and most dangerous forwards and certainly the most athletic forwards of, of that period, which were Lance Franklin and Nick Rewell. Yeah, I, I think I've pumped myself up enough here. So I, I, um, I think <laughs> um, if, if I could say anything about that year, I, I'd like to say that um, we, we were, I was a part of a, a really good back six along with Reece Shaw, Marty Matner, Nick Smith. And it was, you know, to play a high pressure position, you know, in the last line of defence or, you know, with so much going on, it was, it was so good to play alongside of those guys where you've got this real trust and, um, and um, so many selfless guys where that would put their body on the line to help, help me out or help others out. And um, I think that's why we were able to achieve success is there were so many um, sacrificial acts from different people at certain ga- in, in games. Speaking of Reece Shaw, he was brought to the club back in 2008. And I saw one of your Twitter responses that Reece Shaw, within four months, he was voted into the leadership group. That's that's really like a sign of faith and his ability to be a leader within the club. How do you think that sort of helped him develop on and off the field, but also helped the players around him develop as well? Yeah, I put that tweet out because in my 16 years of playing football, I never saw someone come to a club and make an impression on a playing group so quickly as what Reece Shaw did. He came to the club in uh, November of 2008 after the 2008 season. Um, we, we traded and got him in. And by February of the next year, so four months later, when it came to leadership group voting, the hands were going up to get, you know, to get Reece Shaw in the leadership group. And... You know, to, to make that impression on a playing group so quickly, I think is quite quite relevant right now because, you know, at the time of recording, what is it? We're uh, getting coming into, I'm not sure what round it is, but sure he's got two or three months ahead of him where he's, he's got a big challenge, but he's up for it. He has got, he's got the skills and what it takes to really get the buy-in from the playing group to um, make an impression on them. And, and he's got the life skills and the which is about, I guess, the skills you require of coaching, which is about communicating and having hard conversations with time to time, but in other times putting your arm around guys and kind of being, being a bit softer. And, um, yep, sure, he's got the skills required. And I'm, I don't want to put any pressure on him, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like, I feel like um, you know, it's going to be an exciting year either way. It is. He's certainly proven that he's got the chops to be a, a good senior coach. His first season coaching, he won the NAFL Coach of the Year. He also is a two-time winner of the AFL-CA Assistant Coach of the Year, one in the NAFL side as the coach, the second as a assistant in the uh, Swans. He was promoted to the senior assistant. Uh, and now he was picked up late last year by North Melbourne to be the senior assistant under Brad Scott. And less than six months later, he's now the interim coach. Do you see Reese as, I guess, being a senior coach at North Melbourne at the end of the year going forward, or do you see him sort of taking that step back and, and just biding his time and working on his apprenticeship? Oh, before I answer that question, I'll give you a little quote that I like, and it's by Yogi Berra that you might have heard before, especially about the future. So um, and I, I say that because no one knows what's going to go on in the AFL world in, in one or two weeks' time, let alone um, one or two years' time. So... Shorey, I, I believe, has, has the, what it takes. It's just a matter of um, there could be things outside of Shorey's control 
uh, as to whether he's he's going to um, coach the Kangaroos beyond this year. But either way, for how quickly he has risen the ranks of coaching in such a competitive industry kind of reinforces the fact that it's not just myself or you know former teammates that share this opinion of him, but it's his colleagues in the coaching world, be it at the Swans or the Kangaroos or at other teams that are identified these fantastic skills that he's got too. So um, the fact that Shorey came to the Kangaroos after coaching a NEFL team and within six months he's coaching their senior side, he's the Kangaroos board, their, their fellow assistant coaches, so they can see that this these fantastic skills that he's got too and I th- I'm, I'm really optimistic and, and bullish about uh, what, what Shorey's career will be in football. So, Tate, we've got a question from one of our listeners, um, and it's a really good one, actually. It's about the uh, the size of the Swans' defence over the years. This is from James Hoffey on Facebook. He asks, Is it a coincidence that so many of the Swans' key defenders over the years have been undersized? It started with Leah Barry, who was 184 centimetres, Craig Bolton at 190, you are 192, 193, and Dane Rampey is now 187. And all of you have played full-back, centre-half-back, and key post positions. Is it a coincidence, or has it just been a case of you've just been able to manage and the whole defence as a whole has just been able to group together and get it done? I think um, a contributing factor to defenders normally being a a bit lighter and leaner than forwards is the fact that you rotate your midfielders and your forwards. You can go short and fall in the forward line for a bit, yeah, it's the utmost importance to always have your, your midfielders rotating on bench. But it really throws a team out of whack if you start rotating your defence through the bench because a midfielder can play forward, but it's, there's not too many midfielders that can go back and, and, and play a role there. So if you look at who plays the, the largest amount of minutes in games, normally it's the, it's the back six, which feature heavily. So I guess it's a long answer, but... Why that's important is because you need your back six to be able to play a large amount of minutes. And if you are large, big and heavy and, and don't have the tank to play for a long period of time, it's going to be really put the balance of the team out. In a couple of weeks' time, the big freeze is on at the MCG again, the, the fight M&D campaign. Um, yeah. And we understand there's still a few spots that are vacant for that. Are you going to make an appearance? And if you do, what would you dress as? Oh, to answer your question, no, I'm not, I'm not involved in uh, the, the big freeze. I think I think it's a fantastic fantastic initiative. Um, I don't know what I would do if I was to uh, be involved and dress up, but um, uh, maybe we I, might start a campaign to get you involved in next. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think uh, it's always exciting to see and, and the spectacle and and the money that they raise to go towards M and D. I think what Neil's Neil Danaher has done in in such a short period of time is just phenomenal. Yeah, they've raised some serious money, haven't they? Mm, yeah. So, Ted, we saw one of the young forwards from last year, one of the standout players from last year, young Tom McCartan, who was an 18-year-old in his first season, who played a really pivotal role with Franklin out and Reed out for uh, parts of the season. This year, he played at centre-half back against Carlton and was very impressive. Was it a bit uh, nostalgic for you watching a nice, lean, young lad play as a forward and then follow it up with a really good performance at centre-half back and then later rounds go back into the forward line and be that big attacking player at the ball and bringing the ball to ground? 
Uh, I don't know if nostalgic is the word. I was just um, excited for him as a, as a young kid because to, to be able to swing forward and back, it's it sounds easy, but it is so hard. And the fact that so few players are able to, to do it consistently well just demonstrates how hard it is to play like that. But, um, yeah, Tom and I never crossed paths at the Swans, so um, um, I don't know him personally that well, but he just looks to be from, you know, from just a fan like um a fantastic competitor he comes and plays his role he accepts be it forward or be it back um his role on the day and um gives his all so uh, I, I i think it's that's what you, you know, the players that you love to play alongside of and um it looks to have a big future in front of him and the season it's uh it's a bit up and down ebbs and flows we've had some good performances and some uh sort of mixed performances you've said recently on another podcast that as a young side you are going to have those uh, fluctuations in performances do you see the swans returning back to the uh the finals fold in the next couple of years yeah oh yeah i'm biased so i i do see that happening but i feel like the the difference between you know a top four and the top and the, the bottom four isn't much and it's you know probably like five or ten percent just um, a couple of goals a game so i'm i'm optimistic about what the, the swans moving back up the ladder and even though they're, they're probably not calling it a rebuild phase but I, I can see that we are a lot younger than what we used to be so i see fantastic future in front of us but i will qualify by saying the AFL world is incredibly competitive and um, a lot can change in just a, a, a few weeks, let alone a few years. So um, it's a matter of building year after year and making great decisions because teams can come from anywhere. Well, Ted, I would like to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll speak again soon. No worries at all, gents. Hey, horse. Mate, I know you guys struggle being competitive, so um, I'm here to fire you up. Is that okay? I need a bit of a hand, mate, so if you wouldn't mind getting down in there and uh, really giving it to him. Let's do it. Thanks, mate. Please welcome Dave Hughes. Guys, I'm here. I've got to fire you guys up. Let's start at the top. Where's Jared McVeigh? Where are you? 250th game, mate, yeah? Did you get any presents? Did you get another Prada backpack, did you? going, what's that? Yeah. Uh, they don't sell them in Cobden, mate. Uh, but no, mate, no matter how many expensive bags you get, mate, you're still going to look like Woogie from something about Mary. Let's not worry about that. Kieran Jack, where's the other captain? Mate, you've come a long way, haven't you? You deserve to be captain because you're smart, and that's why you're the only guy ever to fail the AFLPA business course, aren't you? <laughs> Even Gary Rowan passed it. And he failed grade six in Cobden. Uh, <laughs> no, buddy, where's buddy? Buddy, mate, come on. You've come to Sydney, the party town of Australia. You're on massive money. You got engaged, you never go out. <laughs> you might well have gone to fucking Adelaide, mate. Uh, seriously, but no, he's a role model now for all the young blokes, isn't he? He's a role model. And they just want you to remember some of their names. Uh, <laughs> Dan Hanbury, where are you, Dan? I didn't recognise you. Your tongue hanging out of your mouth, mate. Why aren't you speaking, mate? You never shut the fuck up, generally. Um, you need to be quiet, buddy, like Brandon Jack is when he sees a girl at a nightclub. Where is he? 
um, you just raise home and look her up on Instagram, don't you? <laughs> Tom Derricks, where's Tom? Tom, you, you should be here, shouldn't you, mate? You're the Oprah Winfrey of Australian football. <laughs> you're a legend. You interviewed all the big stars. You interviewed Sofia Vergara, didn't you? Yeah, that you're a big deal. Yeah, well, bloody Josh Kennedy married her younger sister, so... <laughs> Jeremy Laidler, where are you? Oh, mate, come on. You're flying here in Sydney, aren't you? Yeah? Mick Mouldhouse couldn't give you a game at Carlton. <laughs> Have you rang him to thank him? Have you? <laughs> Have you? No, you haven't, because you're too busy with your selfie stick, are you? <laughs> oh, you love it. You love it. I saw you on Instagram with your bloody dog Kevin sleeping on you, yeah? <laughs> your hair was perfect, the lighting was great. You need to put out a book of selfies, mate, and, and call it hashtag no one gives a f. <laughs> oh, no. Dane Rampy, where's Dane? Oh, mate, have a look at you. You got a four-year contract now, and you went out and bought a 1990 Jeep about it. <laughs> no wonder Sam from The Bachelor let you go. Uh, <laughs> come on, mate. Heath Grundy, where's Heath? Heath, yeah, all right, mate. Your, your, your beautiful wife's having a baby, yeah? Her tummy will never get as big as your fat ass, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where's Pikey? Pikey, have you had a laugh, mate? First one in five years, apparently. <laughs> Richard, where's Teddy? Teddy, mate, you're on the field, you hit all the targets. You get to the shitter here and you spray it everywhere. <laughs> Bloody Pete Hall!